now on 2GB Sydney, 4BC Brisbane and network stations across Australia. It's time for Nights with John Stanley. Evening everyone, welcome to Tuesday night. Of course if you're in Queensland just after 7 o'clock we'll uh, be joined of course by our Queensland network stations in an hour from now but those listening via the app or smart speaker, welcome along just after 7, just after 8 o'clock in the southern states on this Tuesday. News hour coming up, there's a bit to do tonight. In fact tonight perhaps we go down the down down the time tunnel a bit with Scott Morrison uh, delivering his valedictory speech in the Parliament, and I've just been having a look at some of the assessments, commentary. There'll be there'll be a flurry of these in the next 24 hours. People giving their assessments of Scott Morrison, the good, the bad, what he achieved. Uh, it's interesting. I'm just looking here, for instance, uh, David Cray writing in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, saying that uh, Scott Morrison and people who uh, don't like Scott Morrison might actually like to read some of the things that he detailed as some of the successes, the many successes of Scott Morrison. Now, there were things that they didn't, we didn't like about Scott Morrison as well, but they've just gone through a whole range of things, particularly, and even then it's contested, uh, his handling of the, uh, the pandemic. I'll go through some of that shortly with uh, Michael Pack, our national political editor, because he's delivered his speech today. But I'm just wondering, have you, have you looked at him now? And have you got a different view on him and even the pandemic, his handling of the pandemic, closing the borders, people coming from China? Uh, It's well known that Scott Morrison, for instance, was arguing uh, for schools to remain open. But all of this was in the hands of the states. And I also mentioned there was a court decision made today in Queensland, and it's quite complicated because it involves uh, the, uh, the Human Rights Act and the human rights of some police officers and some ambulance officers as well in Queensland in terms of vaccine mandates. And so it's a a decision which essentially says that some of those vaccine mandates were unlawful. Now, there's ramifications of all this, but again, it feeds into this ongoing question that we raise here, other people raise on on constantly, that we should be having some sort of a big, broad inquiry into all the things that happened during the pandemic so that people can assess, all right, was was this done, number one, uh, in the interests of the public? Because I don't think too many people are arguing seriously that people weren't acting with the best of intentions, but they were flying blind. So if they've made decisions that were wrong, let's explain what those decisions were and how it can be done differently at another time. You get the decision in the court today, you got all the analyses of what Scott Morrison did during the pandemic. I think all of that feeds into this issue. But what was said today, and it was said by the Prime Minister, it was said by Scott Morrison, that ultimately people have very fierce, fierce differences when it comes to policy, but that most people are actually working with the best of intentions, that they're not there trying to manipulate things or, or feather their own nest they're doing what they think is in the interests of the people they represent. You might disagree with that. You might like to give us some thoughts on that one, one three one eight seven three. And I guess following also uh, from the, the pandemic, we, we did a number of interviews, both during the closures of businesses and then the aftermath of that, on how difficult it was for people who had those very small businesses, restaurants, yeah, hospitality. So many of them just closed. Many of them got through because of JobKeeper, But those that closed or struggled or couldn't survive COVID, I note today uh, a feature which quotes a whole range of of people who run these smallish 
almost you might call them uh, small corner suburban cafes, restaurants that are doing it really, really tough. You don't need to be a genius to work out why, because if people have increasing pressures on their spending, then there's discretionary spending. Where are we going to cut our cloth? Well, we might have to cook at home or cut out the eating out. And so these are the ones that get affected. If you're in that situation, you might like to let us know because we asked that question plenty of times during the pandemic. You might like to let us know your thoughts on that one. And I think sometimes we have these events in Canberra. We will touch on this shortly as well. But these events in Canberra where there's a delegation and they turn up and they do a media event. Uh, Today, there was an event in Canberra where a number of people headed by Wally Lewis, the rugby league immortal. And I say headed by him because he's the best known person there, Wally Lewis. He's almost the flag bearer now for this issue of uh, CTE, the damage to your brain that can be caused by concussion. Now, he's been diagnosed with this. That was in January. He says his diary is now his best friend because he has some short-term memory loss, the great Wally Lewis. And he's urging governments and sporting organisations to take seriously the concern about this uh, not just, and this is the thing, so many of them when we talk about these stories say, so are they going to do something about this because they're going to face massive legal action down the track? Oh, it could be billions of dollars, some of these big organisations. It might actually be handy to, to feed in the thought of you have a duty of care to the people that play your sport to make sure they're not going down the path that Wally Lewis and some of these other people have gone down in later life. We'll give you some. Uh, I'll give you an insight into what he had to say and some of the things that he said today, and you might want to have some thoughts on that one as well. One three one eight seven three is the number. There's also a couple of other things we'll touch on tonight. In the next hour, we've had Norco Milk. Now it's been removed from the Sydney stores of Woolworths, and what's curious about this is Norco doesn't want to say much about it. This is the problem. You got Coles, you got Woolworths, and you don't want to upset them. But there's a lot of milk growers, milk producers, who are going to be affected by this. So we'll speak with one of them later. But the trouble with these stories is quite often people are afraid to talk because they don't want to speak out and say, well, this is what this is our situation because they're, they're trying to get back on those shelves. So we'll do that. We'll talk uh, finance and superannuation. And we'll also have our TV clinic tonight. I've got a few things to bring you in our TV hour, including some new shows. One particular one you'll really want to put down in your diary. That's all coming up later in the program. 131873 is the number. It's 14 past 8 or 7 in Queensland. Yes, I was just talking about those uh, milk producers. So my exact words were milk produce. I said milk growers are milk producers. Uh, and then, of course, I've got a series of text messages here from people. How do you grow milk? Um, milk growers, a.k.a. farmers. Well, you see, you can't self-correct as you move through here on live radio, but I just love the fact that every word is just quickly ticked off. Thank you so much. That's that's the joy of our program. Now, the News Hour is brought to you by Parramatta City and Blacktown City, GWM. Go with more North Parramatta and Blacktown. Our national political editor is Michael Packey, who's uh, been watching another busy day in Canberra. Michael, good evening to you. G'day, John. Look, just something that's almost procedural that we knew, those uh, that legislation for the the tax cuts, that's now gone through the Parliament. They'll come in on the 1st of July. We know that, so that's the formality. There you go. Yeah, look, uh, that was always going to happen. Uh, I think that uh, 
the government was, I think, worried at one stage that potentially couldn't get the Greens or the Liberals uh, to waive uh, the tax cuts through. But, you know, the coalition said that they were going to support them anyway. So that's what's happened uh, tonight. Essentially, those tax cuts or the changes to those stage three tax cuts uh, have been waived through. They've become law from July the 1st. Uh, people on, you know, those lower to middle incomes will see a tiny bit more in their pay packet. Those on higher incomes will still get something, but not as much as they thought. So just in time for this Dunkley by-election. Yeah, all right. So the Dunkley by-election, well, look, we'll talk about that very shortly because I know you've got a view on this. I'll throw my hat in the ring and uh, get the prediction wrong again, as always. But uh, with Scott Morrison, and Hmm. I mentioned that there's now all sorts of uh, pieces being written. If you go to the news websites, virtually every commentator is giving us a a rundown of Scott Morrison. But I'm just having a look here um, in relation to David Crow, Sydney Morning Herald, Brisbane Times. Mm -hmm. He's talking about a whole range of things that the Morrison haters mightn't like, and then he details the things that, of course, that went wrong. But he's saying he made the right call at some big moments in his three years as Prime Minister, closed the borders quickly when the pandemic began, even as the critics said he was wrong to turn Chinese visitors away. He committed nearly $90 to the JobKeeper payment, um, when the idea divide liberal orthodoxy, increased unemployment benefits, bailed out small businesses, gave apprentices money so they'd not lose their jobs or skills, set up the National Cabinet uh, and paid a price uh, for doing so. Uh, he says, for instance, um, he wanted the schools to stay open. He was right. He lost that decision because the Premier's over uh, ruled him. And he and it goes on to say, while the lessons of the pandemic are still being learned, young Australians are clearly paying the price for years of online learning. There's a lot of other stuff there. but And if you go back to the early time of the, the coalition government, he was the one who was saying, you can stop the boats, you can intercept boats, you can do intercepts and, and turn them back. When the government was desperately trying to stop the boats and was saying, well, you can't do it, it's impractical. So when he got in, he did it. So if you promise to do something and the other side saying, well, you can't do that, and then you do it, well, that's a political, that's a political achievement as well, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right, John. And I mean, I suppose that would be one of the uh, defining things of uh, Scott Morrison for at least uh, the early part of his career when he was the immigration minister. Uh, he was a shadow immigration minister under Tony Abbott when he was leading uh, the uh, coalition or the Liberal Party and then he became the immigration minister and he was the architect of uh, Operation Sovereign Borders along with the late uh, Liberal Senator Jim Molan who was uh, running uh, that operation and they ran it fairly successfully. The bottom line is those asylum seeker boats did stop as a result of uh, that operation and then really then the focus became on getting as many people that had already arrived here who were in detention, whether it be on Christmas Island on Nauru, trying to uh, resettle them, of course, also on PNG. So that would be probably one of uh, Scott Morrison's early political uh, wins. I think that uh, then his time as Human Services Minister, well, that was obviously very controversial because he was the one that was pushing robo-debt and we saw that was a bit of a disaster. Uh, Then he became Treasurer. And so, you know, I'm not sure that too much came out of that, although he would argue he got the stage one, stage two and stage three uh, uh, tax cuts at least moving. Uh, And then, of course, uh, he uh, became uh, the prime minister. And today he's given that valedictory speech. I think over the last year or so since the 2022 election where he's been sitting on the back bench, he's given a few speeches. And uh, when he's intervened, it's mainly to defend his legacy when he was coming under attack over various uh, uh, issues. But on the whole, he's been in parliament for 17 years 
and he's ended up with the top job. Yeah, see, the, a, a couple of different people are already mentioning the uh, the giving himself all of those uh, those ministries, the did ministries. It secretly, secretly didn't tell the uh, didn't tell the other ministers. Josh Frydenberg was particularly upset. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any practical uh, effect at all, but nonetheless, uh, that's what he did. Uh, well, they were the fl- they were the flaws. You yep. know, so and, and you know, and that was a big flaw and a big mistake to take on all those ministries and not trust his own colleagues that he was doing it or why he was doing it, and you know that has upset a lot of people. I mean, we, we, it's not only even jo- Josh Frydenberg; it's also people like uh, Karen Andrews, the Queensland MP, who said that he should have resigned immediately when he did that. He should have quit politics yep. uh, at that time when those revelations became. Uh, came forward. Yeah. I mean, you've got a situation, Chris says here, disagreed with the amount of money given out during the pandemic. Approaching a trillion dollars in federal debt would have allowed more super access, means tested, more handouts and frozen the dollar at 50 cents. Uh, now we have generational debt, thanks to Mr. Morrison. The, the, the flip side of that is that uh, so many businesses would have gone out of uh, mm. out of business. Uh, people would have lost their jobs. Apprentices wouldn't have got the training. So it's you can't, you don't know what the flip side of that is. Uh, you don't know what would have happened had they not done that and where we'd be today. We don't Look, know. That, that's exactly right. And one thing I will say, generally, from his own side and even from the opposition, I thought, today in the speech that Anthony Albanese gave, uh, you know, you know, which I thought was fairly gracious of Anthony Albanese, the sort of speech that he gave after Scott Morrison spoke, the general consensus is that there were mistakes made during the pandemic, but on the whole... Australia did pretty well and has come out of it pretty well. You know, when you've had other countries, I know we've got the debt, but the reality is other countries equally have got the same, had that same level of debt and they've all gone into recession. We've managed to avoid that. And probably one of the advantages of what um, they did do at that time is that you've got an unemployment rate, which is still hovering at about 3.54%. So, most people are in work still. Yep. All right. Uh, look, the, and again, I, I mentioned this earlier. We've talked about it plenty of times. Anthony Albanese talked about a royal commission into the response to COVID. Mm. Uh, that you know, no, I don't think there were any. There was anyone with with ill intent. They were all doing the best they could, mm. but a lot of them got it wrong. We know that they had. Well, they had to because there were so many different responses around the country. Well, they no can't rule. have all been right. So if we had a royal commission and we're having some sort of an inquiry, if we had a proper royal commission, you could you could actually get someone to examine the impact of of all of the, the money that went in and what the alternative scenarios might have been. And then we could oh, look, examine it. I think that the calls for a Royal Commission, I mean, they seem to have quietened down now, but I agree that that's probably what is needed given um, the amount of money that was uh, shelled out, uh, the what people went through for, you know, close to two years, really. Um, I do think that uh, if something like that were to happen again, you do need to learn the lessons. I mean, admittedly, when it did happen, what, late 2019, December 2019, early 2020, you know, it was uncharted waters. It's something that hadn't happened in 100 years. So no one really knew what they were doing. But, you know, Morrison and some of the decisions he did make at that time have generally been, you know, praised. Yep. All right, look, I just wanted to play this because, and again, we did deal with this last night that... um, the, the Taylor Swift thing was hmm. uh, was was a massive positive for Australia. It was something that gave, gave us an injection of some uh, some positivity that we certainly needed. And hmm. uh, uh, if you look, I know Brisbane didn't get Taylor Swift there, but uh, the 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 atmosphere around Sydney was we haven't had it like this since the Olympics, really. But then he he was at the concert with his daughters, mm-hmm. and he then gave a speech, and he told I think he told his daughters that he was going to weave some Taylor Swift references into his uh, speech. So um, 
And look, so we're talking Red, 1989, Lover, Midnight's True Romantic. So those who know Taylor Swift's music would be aware of this. Have a, hey, this is some of it. Have a listen. In preparing for this day, Abby and Lily suggested that I should play a type of Taylor Swift bingo. And I'm wearing the bracelet, by the way. <laughs> has ScoMo on it. And they said, by trying to work the names of every single Taylor Swift album into uh, my remarks, well, what's a dad to do? Here I go. <laughs> it is true that my political opponents have often made me see red. Often when subjected to the tortured poets who would rise to attack my reputation. In response, I always thought it important to be fearless and speak now, or forever hold my silence and allow those attacks to become folklore. Ever since leaving university in 1989, <laughs> this has always been my approach. My great consolation has always been my lover, <laughs> Jen, who has always been there for me whenever I need her from dawn and beyond the many midnights we have shared together. See, I'm actually a true numeromantic, after all. And I can assure you there is no bad blood, as I've always been someone who's been able to shake it off. Yeah. All right. and Anything for my daughters. Yeah, so that was him. And, and look, people, I think when, when he was doing the stuff on 60 Minutes, the, the ukulele playing and that stuff, people saw it as political opportunism. Well, he's going now, so there's no, there's no plus for him in terms of uh, politics. He's getting out of politics in doing mm. all of that. And he did talk about his faith. Mm. I, I find it interesting because his faith, he was quite open about it, but he, it, it didn't intrude on what he did as Prime Minister or, or in politics, as far as I could tell. No, I think that that's uh, right. And there's no doubt in the speech that he gave today, he weaved a lot of his faith into that speech. And I thought what was interesting is that towards the end, he he did say, he goes, you know, I do talk a lot about my faith. There's going to probably be some people who are uncomfortable with that. He was referring to people in the chamber that may be uncomfortable with that. But as far as he's concerned, he's not going to shy uh, away from uh, his uh, his faith. Um, and so that, that did, you know, that was definitely the underlying theme of uh, the speech. I thought the other interesting thing was that he said, again, towards the end of the speech, talked about China. And we know that, you know, he was one of the big critics, especially during COVID, of China, saying that, you know, that China should be releasing information about the origins of uh, the virus. And he did say, look, you know, you you might be uh, sorting out your relationship with China again, but still be careful. Don't believe everything that they say, which I thought was uh, quite interesting that he did make that remark. Yep. All right. And the other thing, people were saying he had no conviction, didn't believe in anything. There's an argument that, uh, in fact, somebody who's total pragmatist is actually good for the job because you then can examine decisions. All right, what's the best, what's the best, what's in the best interest of the people Mm. I represent as opposed to what do I want to do? Forget the people I represent. And too often we get politicians, supposedly conviction politicians, that are going in there arguing for things that are completely at odds with what the people they represent. Completely. social issues. And then uh, eventually when they, try and, and when they try and get what they want through, they find out that they can't, some of the conviction politicians. All right. So 
you know. But yeah, look, he has been pragmatic, and I think a lot of that pragmatism was seen, you know, around uh, that COVID period. But right. as as we say, he's all there was also some flaws there as well. I want to take a break, come back, and finish up with you. There's a couple of other things we want to get to. I want to get your prediction on the Dunkley by-election. Of course, there's going to be a by-election for Scott Morrison's seat. Uh, Tony's come up with a quick review. He was a terrible PM, but the speech with references to that singer has to be the worst thing he's ever done. So there you go. And another person saying he didn't use didn't ref, didn't use the term evermore. So. Well, he can't get them all in because I think the uh, I, think it's, I think it's a pretty long list of uh, of, of work. Eight uh, thirty or seven thirty in Queensland. One three one eight seven three is number. Quite a few people actually pointing out that, uh, and you know this well, Michael, that during the uh, during the pandemic, the the Labor opposition was calling for significantly more spending uh, mm-hmm. than the uh, than the Morrison government was doing and they are calling for a much uh, broader application of uh, JobKeeper. We also had a, a person asking this question because you were talking about people having jobs and we have got what is generally classed as full employment at the moment and we've got still, I think it's, is it 800,000 people? I think the number now of people who are on Job Seeker. No, uh, less than that. It's about 500,000. Okay, so it's about 500. And I think the numbers now are that there's, there's probably uh, at the moment the same numbers of people on Job Seeker as there are job vacancies. That's generally regarded as kind of full employment. That's exactly uh, but, right. So the, the num- that, that was what you were referring to, but you can argue all that round the edges whether the numbers underestimate it, but that was the context in which you were saying that. So I just wanted to explain that. This Dunkley by-election coming up on Saturday, March 2. Uh, it's true, isn't it? The, the average swing against the government is, is a bit over the six and a bit percent that's needed here. So why wouldn't the coalition have a good chance of winning this one? Well, they're saying it would be extraordinary. That's the quote from people within the coalition. If they were to win this uh, Dunkley uh, by-election, they don't believe that they will achieve a swing above 6.3%, which Labor currently holds it by at uh, the moment. They do think, though, and generally even if you talk to people from both sides, they do think that uh, Dunkley will likely become a marginal seat. So Labor thinks that it will be able to uh, hold on, uh, but there's no doubt there's a few people out there in that electorate that probably will send uh, the government uh, a bit of a message. So that 6% margin that they currently hold it by will probably be eroded by, you know, 3 and a bit or 4%. So to become, you know, a marginal seat, which the Liberals think they can probably snatch off Labor potentially at the general election, which is expected in 2025. The other thing we've got to keep in mind, John, the reason for this by-election, it's because it was the death of the sitting Labor member, Peter Murphy. It's not, you know, as a result of a resignation. So there isn't that same level of anger uh, towards uh, the government. So they do think Labor, I think, privately do think they'll take a bit of a hit, but they'll be able to hold on. The Liberals are pretty much on the same page. Yeah. Now, in question time, and we'll go into this again tomorrow night because we do drive with Trent Nicklich and go through some of these these figures and some of the statistics, and it is now a battle of, of uh, my statistics, your statistics, what's mm. happening in America, what's not happening in America. So this Uton family car tax, this is emissions laws, which are going to be coming in. They'll start coming in next year. Government says that uh, the cost of these things isn't going to go up. So the proof's going to be when we start seeing the sticker prices on these cars over the next couple of years, isn't it? It's exactly right. But I think that what you'll find that'll happen between now and next year is that um, the government will do a deal with the car makers. 
to make sure that you know the prices of the cars don't don't rise exorbitantly as a result of these new emission standards to try and get more electric vehicles in and you've already got some of the big car manufacturers that are starting to push more of their electric vehicles into uh, the Australian market but obviously the opposition is uh, seizing on this especially when it comes to utes and SUVs because they're among the biggest selling vehicles uh, at the moment but I would not be surprised that some sort of deal will be done between Labor and the automobile industry or the various manufacturers to make sure that prices don't skyrocket too much. And the emission standards apply across the world, but in the US they've, they've effectively uh, exempted some of these larger vehicles because there are yeah. so many of them. Yeah, that's right. And maybe that that's what could potentially happen here because that's the same here. We're getting more and more of these utes and SUVs uh, entering the market. So... It'll be interesting to see how all, all of it plays out, but I think something will happen between now and when they start. All right. 22 to 9 to 8 in Queensland. Of course, the, the, the budget comes up in May, mm. and you know what happens from about this time of the year. Various groups come in. They organise media events to argue for spending in the budget. So today, it was advocates uh, for uh, CTE, Chronic Traumatic encephalopathy and this is basically about what happens when you uh, you, you get concussions uh, Wally Lewis he was diagnosed in January he says his, his, uh, his diary is his best friend uh, so they're arguing for more awareness for the sporting bodies to get on board in a, in a bigger way and for more work on research and certainly um, information and uh, information campaigns here's a bit of what he had to say yeah, I certainly did and was very pleased with it. Look, uh, I, I'm, I'm a realist. I know that uh, when you're coming to a place like this, you're one of many uh, that are looking for help and assistance. And if uh, in any way, shape or form, there can be uh, assistance for others uh, throughout this cam- campaign, I'm going to rest uh, a very comfortable man. Yeah, All right. look, we'll be doing the budget in May uh, when it's brought down. But uh, I, I would think and I would hope the slogan they had today was you've only got one brain, mm. that this ought to be uh, a priority and we'll be looking through those budget papers for something on that uh, on that night. Well, they should do it earlier. Why wait till May? They could do it earlier, can't well, they? Well, I mean, I suppose oh, they could do it earlier, but I suppose they will wait till May, make it a, maybe a bit of an announcement in the budget. Or not. It's interesting that you talk about stuff like CTE. I do think that there might be a few more of these little health announcements in the lead up to the budget or you know that they that they will include money in the budget on issues like CTE, and also I wouldn't be surprised if there's something around melanoma, hmm. given that the two Australians of the year, you know, are advocates for uh, skin cancer and getting people to you know check their yeah, skin and all be. that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I reckon be. these sorts of health issues will start probably slowly dominating um, the cycle over the next couple of months because yep. there could be some bits of money going yep. towards these sorts of uh, things. So imagine you take a tiny percentage of the money we spend on defence and whack it into medical research. Imagine how many lives would be saved. Incredible. Um, uh, if Al, if Duncan goes close to being lost by Labor, uh, sharks will be circling around Aldo if they lose it, certainly. But when we talk about that, um, it, it's, it would be extraordinary to see something like that, wouldn't it? As in, if they lo- if they lost Dunkley Albo, well, the sharks certainly. Out. I mean, talk, we're talking leadership here, look, and we're I'm a year sure away from the election. Yeah, yeah, we're about yeah about a year away from the election. Look, I, I think that there would be some people that would be worried about what would be what's happening um, if they lost the Dunkley Dunkley or they lose it really badly. 
Um, but I'm not sure that Anthony Albanese's leadership would be in danger, only because I think that they're still scarred by what happened yep. during the Rudd and Gillard years, and they're not sure that there's there's someone that's probably ready to take place. I know people say Bill Shorten, but I'm not sure about that. Yep. All right, and just a final one, if I can ask you. I mean, you, you think they'll win narrowly in the Dunkley by-election? I do. I think I think Labor will hold on, and that's just judging yep. by the people I've been speaking right. to. Okay. They will hold on, but it'll be a marginal. All right, I'll ask you this one, because it did come up last night, and I, I know sometimes these things are overblown. Oh, he's gone to this party, he's gone to that party. But as I thought about it last night, I thought, this is mm. really not a great look. He was at parties, he's at, the, mm. he's at every concert. And uh, so, uh, so tomorrow night, our listeners were pointing this out, Matildas are going to make mm. their way, almost certainly, I'll probably jinx them now, into their spot in the... The Olympics. This is in Melbourne tomorrow night. He's surely not going to go to Melbourne tomorrow night, is he, and well, turn up at the soccer? Look, I haven't been told that he's going to Melbourne to turn up at the soccer, but I doubt it. It's a sitting week tomorrow. Yep, it's a right. sitting day tomorrow. So I can't okay. imagine he's going to leave Canberra to go to Melbourne to watch a football game. All right. Okay. I just, just we, we had this conversation earlier because last week when the whole Taylor Swift circus was gathering momentum, he, uh, he gave away tickets on one FM station mm. and then the next day uh, one of the other FM stations thought, well, let's try and do a stunt here. And he put some poor girl on who was desperate and didn't have tickets. And are you willing to give her your tickets? And I, I reckon all his advisors would have been outside screaming, give him the tickets, give her the tickets, give her the tickets. But he hung on to them, didn't he? <laughs> he couldn't he win. He did hang on to them. He's a Swifty. Yeah, I know. He's a Swifty. All right. Thank you, mate. Anyway, we'll do good this. on you, John. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you. Michael Packey there, our national political editor.